Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would speak your word to us. That we would hear your word and it would bear fruit in our lives, all to your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Kids, if you haven't already, I invite you to head to the back to find your teachers right by the back door and they will take you to your special program. Today, we get the opportunity to peek behind the curtain. See, often in our lives, we see what's going on, but we don't necessarily get to see, at least not in the moment, what's really going on. I had the opportunity last week to speak with the youth group last Sunday evening, and part of what we talked about was the fact that so often we don't get to see how the events in our lives, especially the really hard ones, we often don't really get to see how those events fit in God's plan. We trust God in the midst of it, but sometimes we just don't get to see how it all fits together or what's really going on as God sees it. Well, today in Revelation chapter 5, we get to see what's really going on. We get to peek behind the curtain and see God's purposes and God's plan. We see not only the physical event of the crucifixion during the season of Easter, we see not only that physical event, but then we get to see from God's perspective what that event means and what it accomplishes. We get to sort of peek behind the curtain and see what's really going on. So turn with me to Revelation chapter 5, read today, which is page 1030 in the Red Bibles. Revelation chapter 5, page 1030. Now the scene is before the throne of God, and I think many in this room notice the power and the majesty of this scene because we don't typically have people saying amen halfway through the reading in this church, but that happened quite a bit today. The scene is before the throne of God, and there's a scroll in God's hand. And we get a, a glimpse of it here, but what we discover is that the scroll represents the plan of God in the world. And it says that it's written on both sides, which in the ancient world would indicate how full it was, how important it was, how much there was to accomplish. See, in the ancient world, papyrus scrolls were made not by weaving them together, but by laying strips one way, and then you would take another layer and lay them the other way. So writing on one side would be very smooth, going with the grain. But if you turned it over, the grain's going up and down, and it's hard to write on. So you typically didn't want to write on the back. So it was rare to have a scroll written on both sides. So that in itself indicates how much God has to accomplish in the world. Just as a fun aside that doesn't mean anything, um, in the ancient world there was a writer named Juvenal, um, who was an ancient Roman, essentially gossip columnist. Yes, they had those back there, back then in ancient Rome. And he once poked fun at a writer who would just keep writing and couldn't get to his point. And his, uh, the way Juvenal insulted him was to say that he, his writing fills both sides of the scroll and still hasn't reached his point. 
So the point here is that writing on both sides actually made it stand out. That God has much to be said and much to accomplish. And an angel before the throne calls out, who is worthy to open the scroll? Which would mean, who's worthy to come and open God's plan, release God's plan into the world? Crickets. No one comes forward. No one is worthy. And so John, the one seeing this vision, John weeps. Because no one can open the scroll. No one can bring about God's plan. God's plan is being thwarted, and it will not come to pass. And so John cries, longing for God's plan to come about. And he sobs because it looks like the ultimate plan of God is just never going to happen. But then John is told not to weep. Don't weep because Jesus. The Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God, has conquered through his death. And he is worthy to bring about God's purposes because of the cross. So we get a glimpse behind the curtain. A glimpse of the spiritual and heavenly reality that's taking place that touches our physical world. The cross and resurrection of Jesus is the central event in all of history. Physical and even the heavenly realm. And here in Revelation 5, we get a glimpse of that deeper spiritual heavenly reality of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. And so in this passage, we see both the physical event itself, but then in what comes after, which we will look at, we then get to see what in God's plan is unleashed by the cross of Jesus. The physical event, but then what that accomplishes, what that releases in the world. So first, the event itself says that Jesus is worthy because he was slain. Look at verse 9. They're singing, those around the throne are singing to Jesus, singing to the Lamb. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. Why? For you were slain. And this historical fact, this event in physical human history, releases the purposes of God into the world. The cross, the death of God incarnate on our behalf, is the central event in all of history, and it releases God's plan of salvation and restoration for us. But at the same time, that event is troubling. Not just because of its gruesome nature, but also because the idea of God incarnate dying is hard to accept. Islam, for example, teaches that Jesus was a prophet, but then does not believe that God would allow his prophet to die on a cross, a criminal's death on a cross. And so the Quran actually specifically says that Jesus did not die on the cross. But their tradition has it that he was then simply taken up to God without any suffering, which would be, in their mind, a death fitting for a prophet. Or rather, not really a death at all. But we know something different. 
that God did allow that to happen to his son. I remember being in Uganda during one of my times there, and I was sitting in a car, and it's hot, all the windows are down, we're just sitting in a car waiting for something in some parking lot, and I'm sitting next to a friend of mine, a Ugandan priest, and about 20 yards away, there was a Muslim street preacher on a loudspeaker preaching in the local language, and I'm sure this will not shock you, but my knowledge of the local language, Ruchiga, I couldn't follow along what was being said. So I turned to my friend and I asked him, what is he saying? And he looked at me and he said, he's calling Christians stupid for believing that Jesus died on the cross. It's troubling, the idea that in their tradition, just a prophet, but we understand and know the truth that he is far more than just a prophet. But it's troubling that the idea of someone like Jesus dying a criminal's death. Jesus' disciple Peter was troubled by the idea of Jesus dying on the cross as well. And he rebuked Jesus for talking about dying. And Jesus responded with the famous line, recognizing that Peter was actually speaking the words of the enemy. And says to him, get behind me, Satan. See, then as now, there's a significant challenge with the idea of Jesus, our prophet, priest, and king, and God incarnate. Troubling that God incarnate would die on a cross. But the message of the Bible, and certainly here in Revelation 5, is that this brutal and shameful sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross is not a metaphor. It's not a mere symbol. It is the central event in all of history. And through that death and resurrection, Jesus conquers and releases the plan of God. Verse 5, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll. That is, release God's plan for the world. The cross, when the Lamb of God was slain, is the central event. And that event unleashes God's plan, God's purposes for the world. Which they then highlight, John then highlights two of them that we see here. And the first purpose that we see here highlighted, accomplished by the cross, is that by the death of Jesus, he has ransomed people for God from every nation. Look at verse 9. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood, by that death, by your blood, you ransomed people for God. People from every tribe and language and people and nation. Jesus' death is a historical fact, but it's also much more than a historical fact. It accomplishes our rescue. And not just ours, but all who put their faith in Jesus. From every tribe and language and people and nation. And this language of ransom points to the reality that we are trapped under the power of sin. You remember a few weeks ago on Palm Sunday, we looked at Barabbas, the murderer released when Jesus was condemned to be crucified. And we looked at the fact that he was both guilty and trapped. And we talked about that sense of being trapped, what I call capital S sin, speaking of sin as an enslaving power. 
over us without Christ. And when it says here that Jesus ransomed us, it's picking up again that idea that we are trapped under this foreign occupying power called sin, and we need to be rescued. And God's rescue comes through Jesus' death in our place. His death is what sets us free. His death secures our release from our prison. And this is not an exclusive club. Jesus' death is for all who trust in Jesus. Romans 3.21 says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. All dividing lines are destroyed in the death of Jesus. All are welcomed in. All who receive Jesus' gift of forgiveness and ransom is truly set free and made new. People from every tribe and language and people and nation. This is not an exclusive club. Earlier in his preaching career, Billy Graham would sometimes preach in buildings that were segregated. Until one day, he saw segregation for what it was, what it is. Evil and utterly contrary to the gospel. And so during that sermon, he walked down and physically removed the rope that segregated the congregation and from that moment on refused to preach at any segregated event. The accomplishment of the cross is for all who turn to Jesus in faith. And in Christ we are ransomed, rescued from the power of sin, people from every tribe and language and people and nation. And that's part of the plan that God released for us through the death of Jesus on the cross. Ransomed from every nation. The second purpose that's highlighted here that we see, the purpose of God released into the world by Jesus' death on the cross, is that by his death, Jesus makes his people a kingdom and priests. No longer just an ethnic kingdom, but a kingdom of all who trust in Jesus, regardless of family or nation or background or past behavior, but a kingdom of priests. Look at verse 10. For you were slain, that's verse 9, for you were slain and you have made those people you ransomed. For you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. God's purpose is to raise up his people to give immense dignity and honor to us to the glory of his name because his promises are being fulfilled and his promises are coming true through the death and resurrection of Jesus. For example, his promise in way back in the Old Testament, Exodus 19.6, his promise in Exodus 19 is being fulfilled because the cross has brought God's promises to be fulfilled. Exodus 19.6 says that God would one day make his people a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. 
And through the death of Jesus, the plan of God is coming to pass, and he is making us, his people, kings and priests in his service. But now, kings and priests, what does that communicate? Well, in Isaiah chapter 10, God is speaking a judgment on the evil nation of Assyria. And there's this interesting verse in it, in verse 8 of Isaiah 10, Assyria says, talking about how powerful it is, Assyria says, are not my commanders all kings? See, in the ancient world, a powerful nation uh, could come in and conquer, and one way that they could show their power is to just kill everybody. Just find the leaders, kill them, probably in a very gruesome, very public manner, kill them, show who's really in charge. Another way that they might display their power would be to actually keep the conquered king in power, but force him to pay tribute and serve the conquering king. And so when Assyria says, aren't all my commanders kings? Aren't all my generals that go and fight for me? Aren't they all kings that I've conquered? I'm talking about how powerful I, Assyria, am because all these nations that I've conquered now serve me and fight for me. But then with that in mind, when Revelation 5 or Exodus 19 says that all of God's people are kings, Think about the power that that points to. Assyria dominates people and forces their kings into his service. God dies for his people. And not just his generals are then kings, but his entire nation is kings. The death of Jesus conquers all earthly kingdoms, and even the kingdom of our hearts. And he then calls us to reign with him as his kings in the world. Remember Jesus' commission to his disciples, and he says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go, make disciples, essentially, therefore go and continue the work that I'm doing. Our mission is to continue what Jesus is doing, sharing the accomplishment of the cross with the world. One writer Put it, Jesus did not redeem us for irrelevance, but to become his agents in the world. Or as Revelation says, that we might reign as kings. We reign with him, declaring and enacting his kingdom in this world and in our hearts and lives. By the cross and resurrection, Jesus makes us kings. And it says he makes us priests. Now in the ancient world, filled with temples to various gods, if you saw a small temple, which you'd see it everywhere you went, if you saw a small temple with one priest, it would communicate that the god worshipped there, the deity worshipped there, was a rather minor one. But if you saw a large, beautiful temple with many priests serving and worshipping, it would communicate communicate the power of that deity. But by the death and resurrection of Jesus, all of God's people, the entire kingdom, is priests who serve our God. God is supreme over everything and His glory cannot be contained. And every person in His kingdom serves 
and worships as his priest. A nation of kings would communicate the greatness of God. And so too, a nation of priests would communicate the glory of the one served by so many in worship. The cross establishes Jesus as the one worthy of all worship, even from a nation filled with priests. And being his priests, all of us, it tells us then that each of us, whether we wear a collar or not, each of us has access to God. God is near to each one of us. And he accepts our worship and he welcomes us into his presence. In the past, only priests were allowed to approach God in certain ways. And now all who have faith in Jesus are drawn near. We are all given the task of worshiping our crucified and risen Savior, the Lamb who was slain, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, and we can all come before him and serve him in worship. crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus is the central event in all of history. And that event releases God's ultimate plan into the world. And that plan includes ransoming us from the power of sin, people from every tribe and language and people and nation. And that plan includes making us kings and priests to God. To reign with him in displaying his kingdom to the world. And to enter into his presence in worship. Not needing an intermediary, but welcomed into his presence as his priests. So may we learn to live as his kings and priests. To give glory to our great God. Always remembering and standing in awe of the Lion of the tribe of Judah, who is also the Lamb of God, slain for us. Jesus, our Lord and our God. Amen.